Good morning, Bethel. As we come to God's word today, let's bow together from our homes and unite our hearts in prayer. Gracious God, thank you, Heavenly Father, that we can call you Father, that we can come to your word right now, and we long to meet with you and to hear from you. And so, God, very simply, I ask, may the words of my mouth and may the meditations of each one of our hearts be found acceptable, and may they be pleasing in your sight, O Lord. Amen and amen. Well, friends, I have a confession to make. Now, you have to promise me that if I'm going to tell you this, you're still going to be my friends, okay? So, do you you promise? Do you promise that you will still be my friends? Okay. So, I love to take a bath. I mean, I, I can take a shower, and those are, those are fine, and I'll do that on occasion, but, but there is nothing like, I think, soaking in a nice, full tub of water. Now, don't get me all wrong here. Don't get me crazy. I'm not adding any bubbles into this, and there's none of those smelly Epsom salts or anything like that, but I love to take a bath. Now, I know some of you are, are wanting to already just turn the screen off and you're not going to listen to anything else I've got to say. But you promised, you promised, didn't you, that you were still going to be my friend? See, here's the thing. I love to take a bath. I love those baths where, you, you know, you fill the tub like right up and you submerge down and it's like right up to like your chin and you're just like soaked right in. You know, you know what I'm talking about? I, I've noticed a problem, though, with, with our bathtub. See, I'll, I'll get in, fill right up, you know, right up to here. And then you're sitting there for like five minutes, maybe 10 minutes. And then all of a sudden you look around and, and the water has gone from here down to like here. And, and we've got a leak in our tub. I, 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 you don't hear the leak. You can't, you can't see it anywhere. It doesn't immediately become evident. But, but if you lie there for a few minutes, all of a sudden the water just keeps going down and down and down and down. When I think about our faith journeys that that each one of us go on, our our spiritual journeys, our our walks in life following after Jesus, I, I think we are all just like my bathtub. We leak. It, it, it may sometimes be really quick and sudden that we see it, but it's other times it's just this kind of slow, gradual leak where, where we have these high moments of, you know, I went to church and that song so powerfully, it was just exactly what I needed that week and, and the word that was preached so powerfully impacted my heart and I, I walked out and I was just soaring and it was amazing, right? Or, or we stepped out in faith and, and saw God answer a massive, significant prayer and it just leaves us high and soaring and just so excited and, and just um, filled right up. But then somewhere along the way, a few minutes pass or a day passes or a week passes. And and without even realizing the, 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 the levels of our faith and vibrancy in the Lord going down, all of a sudden we get hit and, and, and we're right back in one of the scenarios where we're, we're not walking by faith anymore. We've leaked and we're taking on our own strength. We're, we're, not, we're not walking in, in vibrancy and close with Jesus. We're seizing back control. You know what I mean? There's a, a classic hymn that maybe you have heard. It has this, this one line near the, the end of the song. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. 
Take my heart, O take and seal it, seal it for thy courts above. We are prone to wander, prone to leave the God we love. We, we are leaky tubs. Just last week, I want to invite you right now to turn your Bibles. We're in Joshua chapter 9. And just last week, we learned of this scene where God leads Joshua to a profound time of remembering. Remembering with all of God's people, all the promises of God, the faithfulness of God, a call to, to walk closely with him. That all of God's people, Joshua led them in committing, recommitting, remembering to walk in these Ways, but we are prone to wander. We are leaky tubs. Every single one of us, you, me, and even Joshua. Look here in verse 1. Now, when all the kings west of the Jordan heard about all these things, what, what things are talking about? Well, most likely it's talking about the victories that God gave to Joshua and the people in Jericho and Ai. That's what's referenced in verse 3. We'll see. So when the kings heard about all these things, those in the hill country, in the western foothills, along the entire coast of the great sea, as far as Lebanon, the kings of the Hittites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, they came together to make war against Joshua and Israel. Literally in the original language, it's got this beautiful imagery. They came to one place at one time with one mind and one mouth is even the original language here. The, the idea is one giant mouth ready to devour. Think about one of those hungry, starving moments you have and you walk into a Mandarin buffet and see the aisle of food. It's just like you're ready to devour. That's what all of these kings are rallying together to do. All the kings of the land unite together one mouth Except for one. Except for one. Verse 3, however, when the people of Gibeon heard what Joshua had done to Jericho and Ai, they resorted to a ruse. The Gibeonites come up with a different plan. Now, Gibeon was actually a really strong city, a really mighty city, filled with warriors. We read in the next chapter, Joshua chapter 10, Gibeon was an important city, like one of the royal cities, as it was larger than Ai, and it's, all its men were good fighters. A mighty, strong city filled with warriors, but they came up with a very different strategy, not, not sharpening their teeth to try to devour Joshua and the people of Israel, like the other nations. No, instead, they hatched a plot. That they decided they needed to take things into their own hands. They needed to solve the problem in front of them themselves. And so they put on their acting gear. They channeled all that they learned back in grade 10 drama class. And they came up with this, this incredible con job that they were going to try to pull off. A whole convoy from Gibeon packed up and traveled right into the camp of Joshua. Look at what it says here, verse 4. They went as a delegation whose donkeys 
were loaded with worn-out sacks and old wineskins, cracked and mended. The men put worn-out patched sandals on their feet and wore old clothes, and all the bread of their food supply was dry and moldy. They, they went all in on this. I'm telling you, like they went to every single length that you could come up with. They very carefully, meticulously planned this whole thing out. They, they, their sacks were, were ripped in different spots and, and they, they were carefully torn and then even looked really aged or grabbed them out from the closet. The very last bags that were about to go to the garbage, they, they found old cracked wineskins that were dried out and couldn't hold the thing anymore. They found old pairs of sandals that they patched up. They put on raggedy clothing. I don't know, maybe they even like rolled in the dust to get their skin all dirty like they'd been traveling for, for months and months and then they beeline it right to Joshua. It says in verse six, then they went to Joshua in the camp at Gilgal and said to him and the men of Israel, we've come from a distant country, make a treaty with us. You can, you can hear it in their voices. You can, you can almost picture it in their actions. They're just like stumbling and, and falling their way in there and trying to act their way as if they are so weary and they've been traveling for months and months out in the barren wilderness and they, all they've got left. Except they actually live three days away. Three days. You might remember last week where God led Joshua to take his people for this time of remembrance to this valley up in the mountains. They went from hike from where they were in Gilgal up and then they turned north and they landed in between Mount Ebal and Mount Gerizim. Remember that? Well, if, if they were traveling on that road that they went and they didn't just turn right and go up north and they actually kept going straight, it actually would have been closer than where they went up in the valley between the mountains. It actually would have been closer to just keep going straight and they would have hit the city of Gibeon. It's that close. It was like right around the corner from where they were at this time. And the people of Gibeon, in an attempt to save their own lives, create this gigantic lie. Pause for a moment. Pretend with me in your, in your mind's eye that you were a Gibeonite. Why are they doing this? Why concoct this giant con job here? What are you doing? Why are you doing this? They have come to a moment where, where they feel like there is this massive obstacle in front of them. They, they have heard of the people of Israel and how God brought them across the Jordan and defeated Jericho and defeated Ai. And they see this massive insurmountable problem in front of them. And do you know what they decided to do? They decided to take things into their own hands. They decided we've got this problem and I need to fix it. I need to be the one to solve it. I need to be the one to figure this out. And this was their best attempt. Have you ever had that happen in your life, friends? 
we come to this like insurmountable problem, this massive challenge, this mountain it feels like that's in front of you. And it's like, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? Well, I got to just grit my teeth, pull up my bootstraps and figure out the solution to get through it. Ever been there? I know I have. I'll tell you lots of stories. Let me give you one. A couple years ago, after our youngest son, Caleb, was born, my wife went through an extremely heavy bout of postpartum anxiety. We've told this story before. Some of you will have heard it. It it was so severe for Natalie after Caleb was born that that she ended up in the hospital. And and after she was discharged from the hospital, the anxiety was still so heavy and weighty that she couldn't come home. Six weeks. Six weeks. Totally unexpected she ended up having to stay with friends and I was away from home. Away from from her her newborn baby, away from her whole family. The the elders here at the church were so gracious to just immediately jump in and say, Alan, take your time off, take as much as you need. We got everything covered. And And so what did I do? What did I do when I saw my wife going through this incredible time? What did I do when I saw my young family going through all of this time? You know what I did? You know what I did? I, I, I pulled up my bootstraps, I gritted my teeth, and I said, all right, I'm going to fix it. I'm going to hold it all together. I'm going to hold my family together. I'm going to put them on my back. I'm going to help my wife through this, and I am going to be the one to fix it. And you know what? You know what? It worked for a couple weeks. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe you're stronger than me. Maybe you could have lasted a couple months but it all came crumbling down. I, I snapped. I broke. I couldn't do it. I, could, I couldn't stand up under the weight of all that was going on and the angst, and it, and it just broke me. And it was, it was months, actually, even after Natalie came home and she was finally starting to get better, how much of a mess I was because I tried to work through all of this myself, and it left me in just a, a puddle and a crumble of a mess. Do you have any idea how many times I could tell you, we could have told you about God helped us through this situation. God worked when we were in that challenge. This time was really hard. Do you have any, many times I could, I could tell you about how I've stood up and preached to other people, telling them all the faithfulness of God, but then in that moment, guess what? I was a leaky tub, prone to wander just like the Gibeonites. I got to figure this out myself. I've got to take this back myself. I've got to take control. Ever been there? That's where the Gibeonites are here. Huge problem. We got to fix it ourselves. Verse 7, Scripture continues, The men of Israel said to the Hivites, But perhaps you live near us. How can we make a treaty with you? There's something off here, right? The Israelites are starting to kind of pick this up. It smells a little strange and fishy. I don't know if I can trust you. The Gibeonites all in their raggedy clothes and with their best acting faces on, they turn to Joshua. They say, we are your servant to Joshua. But Joshua's not super convinced either here. Who are you, he says. 
Where did you come from? He, he's pushing back. He, he's digging in. He's questioning. He, he's doing all the things you're supposed to do, right? Right? He's trying to figure this one out. This is what a good leader does, isn't it? You know, it's, it's so funny here. The Gibeonites and Joshua and the Israelites are, are in, in one sense, polar opposite situations, right? The Gibeonites are sitting here and they're, they're trying to figure out, are we going to die? We have this insurmountable problem in front of us and we're terrified for our lives. On the other hand, you've got Joshua and the Israelites who are like seeing nothing but opportunity and the blessing of God behind them and, and how he's going to bring them into the land flowing with great prosperity. In one sense, they're at two different points, but in another sense, they actually come to the exact same spot. See, Joshua here, he begins to try to do the exact same thing the Gibeonites did. Something smells a little off, and guess what I'm going to do? I, I, I am going to be the one to figure this out. Look at verse 9. They answered him, Your servants have come from a distant country because of the fame of the Lord your God. For we have heard the reports of him and all that he did in Egypt and all that he has done to the two kings of the Amorites, east of the Jordan and Sion, king of Heshbon and Og, king of Bashan, who reigned in Asheroth. The Gibeonites just they keep blowing this smoke and digging themselves deeper into this lie. It says in verse 11, And our elders, they keep going, and all those living with us in our country said to us, Take provisions for your journey. Go and meet them and say to them, We are your servants. Make a treaty with us. This bread of ours was warm when we packed it in our bags. We packed it at home the day we left to come to you. But now see how dry and moldy it is. And these wineskins, they were filled with new wine. But, but see how they are cracked now. Our clothes and sandals are worn out by our very long journey. They're just going on and on and on and piling it on, right? Trying to convince them of this giant lie. What does Joshua do? What do the Israelites do as leaky tubs, as men who are prone to wander? Friends, it was just a couple days ago that they were up in the mountains. It was just a couple days ago that Joshua said, stop, pause, Remember, we're not going any farther. We have to go up in between Mount Ebal and Mount Gerizim. We have to stop. Everybody stand one on either side. Look in the middle. Hear the word of God. Watch me with a chisel carve out the Ten Commandments for you again to see how important this is. Hear every single word written in the law. It was just a couple days ago. That all that went down, that Joshua led his people in all that. And now what does he do? As a leaky bucket. As a man prone to wander. Verse 14, the men of Israel sampled their provisions. They took a bite of the food from the Gibeonites, but did not inquire of the Lord. Then Joshua made a treaty of peace with them to let them live, and the leaders of the assembly ratified it by oath. Did you catch what that just said? They did not 
inquire of the Lord. How? How? How can you forget so quickly? How can you leak so fast? You were just in the valley. You were just reading all the promises of God, and now already? What's wrong with you? Oh, friends. What's wrong with us? Because we are just like this, aren't we? Aren't we leaky tubs prone to wander just like Joshua and the Israelites here? I, I mean, how many of us can't do a show of hands through the screen, but you could raise your hand at home if you want. How many of us have been leaving the church parking lot here, driving out the driveway with kids in the back of the van who start screaming, can we go to McDonald's when church is over right across the street? And in such frustration, we start yelling at the children in the back, would you stop whining and complaining and all this sort of stuff in the very mouth that just a couple minutes earlier was professing and praising the Lord is now shouting back at our kids in frustration in the back of the van. How many of us could recount story after story after story where God powerfully, profoundly answered prayer, guarded and protected us in the midst of different health situations, brought us through health scares, used doctors to come in and bring about healing, all these different things where you could recount all the examples of how God has been faithful and we could tell all these stories from the scriptures about how God has been faithful. But when that most recent news, when the doctor just called last week with that diagnosis, all of a sudden, all of that is out the window forgotten and it's just like tearing us up inside with anxiety, and worry, how many of us have seen God work to impact our own lives through countless people that are they're nothing uh, exceptional or stupendous, but are just normal people that God has used us to deeply impact and shape who you are, who I am. And yet when we are invited to an opportunity to step out in faith to serve, what's our response? God can't use me. I, I, I don't have enough to offer. I'm just a normal person. Oh, friends, Joshua and the Israelite leaders and you and me, we are leaky tubs prone to wander, all of us, Joshua makes this covenant with the people. The group from Gibeon leaves, heads back to their far-off distant land, the city just next down the street. And then guess what happens? Verse 16. Three whole days later, they made, after they made the treaty with the Gibeonites, the Israelites heard that they were neighbors living near them. Three days is how long it lasted. They march up to the city and there's the guys. The guys who were in raggedy clothes and who looked like they'd traveled 10,000 miles were now sitting in their own living rooms all dressed in their nice clothes and back at home again. At this point, what do you do? 
What do you do if you're Joshua, if you're the Israelites? The, the people, people, the assembly, all of God's people here, they are ticked at what Joshua and the Israelite leaders were just like conned into. It says in verse 18, the whole assembly grumbled against the leaders. Seemingly, they, they are like, we should just kill them all. <laughs> we, we should just wipe them all out. They lied to us. And after all, God promised to give us all the land, just be done with them. Be, be rid of them. Give us the city. They, they plead in frustration, it would seem, to Joshua. Here's the interesting thing, though, even about God's people. God actually told his people, when you come to your enemies, there's two options Two options. This is back in Deuteronomy chapter 20. It is not just a blanket statement, wipe them all out. Listen to what God's word says. When you march up to attack a city, make its people an offer of peace. If they accept and open their gates, all the people in it shall be subjected to forced labor and shall work for you. But if they refuse to make peace, and they engage you in battle, lay siege to that city. Again, remember, a couple days ago, all these people were in the valley between the mountains hearing all of this red. They just heard this red a couple days earlier and how quick they are to forget and be like, just kill them all. Just have them done away with. We want nothing to do with them. Just give us the city. They lied. They deserve it. How quickly they forget how merciful God's been to them if he had treated them that way. Oh, oh, man. None of us would be left. Oh, the leaky tub that we are. Verse 19. The Israelite leaders answered, We have given them an oath by the Lord, the God of Israel. We cannot touch them now. And so then Joshua calls out these guys from Gibeon who pulled off this whole ruse. Verse 22, we read, then Joshua summoned the Gibeonites and said, why did you deceive us by saying we live a long way off from you while actually you live near to us? You are now under a curse. You will never cease to serve as woodcutters and water carriers for the house of my God. And so Joshua saved them from the Israelites and they did not kill them. I have to be honest, as I reflect upon this whole story, there's part of me that comes and just is left scratching my head, <laughs> confused and wondering what on earth is going on in this series of events here. The whole thing is a rather befuddling mess, isn't it? Because here's the bottom line. Everybody, mess this one up. Everybody. Everybody is a giant leaky tub prone to wander here, forgetting who God is. The Gibeonites, they think, we've got to take this into our own hands. We've got to save ourselves. We've got to figure this out. So they, they concoct this giant lie trying to save themselves rather than coming to the God of all mercy and asking for mercy. They, they totally misunderstand who God is and think they need to figure it themselves out. 
and rescue their own lives, not come to God for who he really is. Then there's Joshua and the leaders who totally messed this up. They don't pray. They don't come to the Lord and inquire of him. They, they tried to figure it all out themselves. They tried to solve the problem themselves, even though they were just up in the mountains just a couple days before teaching all the people about God's promises. They have leaked out and they've entirely forgotten. And now they've tried to seize control again themselves and try to figure this whole thing out. On top of that, for some strange reason, it's like they, they are unwilling to break the covenant that they've made with the Gibeonites and yet they were fine breaking the covenant that they made with the Lord. Then there's the people of Israel who are hungry for blood and saying, just wipe them all out, be done away with them who have entirely forgotten what they just heard a couple of days earlier up in the valley as well. And who are so hypocritical in their own sense of self-righteousness, forgetting how God has been so merciful upon them when they've messed up over and over and over again and unwilling to extend any mercy to the Gibeonites whatsoever. The more I reflect, the more I pray, the more I study this passage, the more it becomes clear. This is a giant befuddling mess, a mess where absolutely everybody is a leaky bucket prone to wander. Everyone except God. Notice this. How does God respond? How does God respond in this passage, in this story? Everyone else is waffling and wavering, lying and conniving, raging and fuming. And our God, do you know what our God is? Patient, kind, full of grace, faithful and true. He, he doesn't write off Joshua and the leaders, even though they, they failed to inquire of him at the moment when they should have known better. He doesn't write them off. He, he doesn't go to the people of Israel and say, what's wrong with you? Do you not know how many times I've been gracious to you and just wipe them away? He doesn't even go to the Gibeonites and say to them, you, you lied. You tried to take it under your own power. I'm just going to be done away with you. He actually, even to them, when they try to take it into their own hands, even them, he extends mercy and grace and kindness because of who he is. He doesn't come to you or to me and just be saying, I'm done away with Alan. I'm done away with you because you messed this up again because you tried to grab control back again, because you forgot who I was again. Our God, praise him, is gracious and patient and kind and faithful and true to who he is. He remains the same, a rock, a firm foundation, abounding in kindness and love, persevering with his leaky people, beckoning those who have been prone to wander to come back to him. This is our God, friends. 
This is our God. This is our glorious God who says to you and to me, even if in this last week, this last month, this last year, this last decade, you have been prone to wander, guess what? God is the God who is faithful. God is the God who is full of grace. God is the God who is holding his hands open and saying, I will still welcome you back, my son, my daughter. Come running to me. Come into my hands even when we quickly seize back control to try and figure out our own problems, even when we are hypocritical, looking down our noses at others and failing to see the blind spots in our own midst. This is our God, kind, patient, loving and gracious, faithful and true to who he is. He invites us, he beckons us to come to him, to run back to him, to reaffirm once again, I am prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. I'm prone to leave the God I love. But please, oh Lord, grab some holy duct tape by your Holy Spirit. Here's my heart. Oh, take and seal it. Here's my heart, Lord. Seal it for your courts about.